Hi, and welcome to the I Believe Podcast, a podcast created and funded by acureinsight.org. Here we'll be sharing information and insights on treatment, research, and living with ocular melanoma. Thanks for joining us today, and I hope you'll be back soon. Welcome to Acure Insight. Um, I have with me Diana and Barbara, who are going to be sharing their stories today, so give them some love. Say hi, comment with any questions, tell us where you're from. Um, So Diana reached out to me on Instagram and she offered to talk with us a little bit about both of their stories and how the BAP1 um, TPDS has impacted their diagnosis with ocular melanoma as well as um, just kind of like how this has shaped their journey. So really briefly, um, just because I know that we don't have a ton of time and we don't want to keep you guys here for ever and ever. Um, we do want to just really briefly just talk to you guys about, um, each of their stories individually. So I'm going to have, um, let's see who's first on the Instagram. I'm going to have Barra, nope, Diana go first. Um, Diana, will you just introduce yourself here on Instagram, here on Facebook, and just tell us a little bit about yourself when you were diagnosed. Um, just kind of like go over that little summary that we'll add in a little bit later. Yeah. Um, so hi everyone. My name is Diana. I see some of my friends joining. This is my first time on Instagram live. So happy to see you guys. Um, so I was diagnosed with ocular melanoma in 2018. So it's been about three years. Um, my tumor was wrapped around my optic nerve in my left eye. Um, so I was experiencing blurry vision that came on pretty suddenly. It was about a month before, um, I went to the right optometrist and was diagnosed, um, I had inoculation um, in April 2018, um, so I lost my left eye, but um, I got a prosthetic a couple of months later. Um, I've been hiking, driving, backpacking, scuba diving. I'm trying not to let it slow me down at all. Um, uh, more specific about the, the tumor, um, the diagnosis, um, it was class 1A, which is really good news, um, but it does have the prime positive mutation, which can be higher risk for metastasis. Um, I don't know if we want to go into the, the BAP1 part of it at um, all. Like, let's just stop there for a second and then let's move over and have Barbara introduce yeah. herself and her kind of diagnosis and how long it's been, uh, things like that. Okay. So I um, was diagnosed with ocular melanoma in 2015. So six years ago, I... Um, went in for a routine eye exam to an optometrist who um, recognized the tumor um, as a tumor and got sent to a retinal specialist like within a week and um, within two weeks then had plaque therapy. So um, it was a medium-sized tumor back in 2015. Insurance wasn't paying for tumor testing. So I don't know what, what class my tumor was. It wasn't tested. Um, and since that time, I've been followed by an ophthalmologist, a retinal specialist, and have had, um, some interventions to preserve my vision. I currently have 20, 40 vision in my right eye. Um, and after plaque therapy, I had some swelling and a droopy eyelid, those things resolved. 
from the swelling. I had a cataract surgery and then a laser surgery. Um, and now I get monthly Avastin shots. So. Hey, crazy. Um, totally can, can relate to lots of what both of you guys said. Um, obviously I think maybe my journey is a little bit more similar to Barbara's, but I can relate to the whole idea of like what, um, Diana said, and I'm sure Barbara, you feel the same way about just not letting this diagnosis hold us back. Um, okay. So I have the, those couple of questions you guys suggested that we talk about. So I'm just going to go through those and Barbara, do you want to take the first one? Um, just kind of explaining yeah. what BAP1 T, TPDS is. So BAP1 TPDS stands for um, BAP1 tumor predisposition syndrome. And it is an inherited condition um, and it causes a deletion of the BAP1 gene. So every cell in your body, instead of having two copies of the BAP1 gene, have one copy. And it predisposes you um, to tumors. And yeah. there are four tumors that are four types of cancers. Oh, hold on. Uh, um, Barbara, will you check your internet connection on Instagram? And I know for me on Instagram, I have to sometimes, um, I have to just do my data instead of my Wi-Fi. Do my data instead of my Wi-Fi. Okay. So do okay. I have to try talking again? We just have some feedback on Instagram of people saying they couldn't hear you on Instagram. So okay. the good news is we're in two places. So it's recording in, in a couple places. Can you hear me now? All right, let's give it just a sec. And I'm watching the comments. Let us know. Um, Barbara just was talking. Let us know if you can hear her now. Okay. Okay. Let's see. I'll continue with the... Hold on one sec. Will you look on your Instagram? Look on just, sorry, look on the Instagram page. Um, so yeah. this one, and you see this little microphone right here? Yes. Check and make sure yours is white and not red. When is white. white. It's white. Okay. Yes. Oh, I just muted it. I am muted. Hopefully that fixed it. Okay, go ahead and talk again. Let's check and see if her volume is back. I can hear, well, you know what? <laughs> this is silly. I can hear Barbara on Instagram. Um, that means that on somewhere on the internet, it is working. So that's good. Okay, so I'm sorry, keep going. I think it should be fine as long as I can hear you and then it'll save in the video form and anyone can catch the recording if for some reason it's not showing up live. Okay. Um, okay, so you were talking about it predisposes you to tumors. Right, so there's four of the most common tumor. The most common one is ocular melanoma. The second most common is mesothelioma and then melanoma and renal cancer. And so, um, that's a little bit about the tumor itself or the condition itself. Do you have anything to add, Diana? Um, nothing specifically, just that, um, knowing this, um, is an inherited condition. Um, I guess knowing, I don't know that you're predisposed that your genetics are kind of more at play than 
um, like environmental issues. I think when we were both diagnosed, when everyone's diagnosed, the answer, you want to know why, like where this came from. Um, so for, for us to have um, like a very specific uh, answer of, you know, where this kind of condition came from. And um, it, it answered a lot of questions in our family um, about all the different cancers that we've had throughout the years. Okay. okay. So what I'm hearing is the BAP1, the BAP1 TPDS is that tumor predisposition syndrome. I'm just going to kind of recap um, for a couple people live who didn't hear. And that this is something that you learned about through a blood test, like just a regular old through your arm blood test. Right. Um, and this basically tells you if you're predisposed to cancers of, is it really cancers of any kind, but they're mostly looking to see if they can locate tumor, um, tumor predisposition for like ocular melanoma, things like that. I think it predisposes you to certain types of cancers. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. That's interesting. Okay. So I feel like I remember having some kind of a blood test done. I mean, do you guys, you guys remember a little bit, I'm sure. And, and anyone, anyone listening can relate to this where you get diagnosed and then it's like, okay, now we need to have you do this blood test. And now in two days, come back and we're going to do this test. And now in five days, come back and you have an MRI. And then like, there was just so much going on in that first month that I know that, that in some ways, like early on in my diagnosis, I didn't kind of absorb everything. So um, you learned of this, how soon into your diagnosis? Diana, I'll let you go first, because I didn't look at it until five years later. Oh, wow. Um, so I was going to, I can totally relate to that. I feel like I signed so much paperwork when I first was diagnosed to enroll me in all these studies, and you can take whatever samples you need. And um, I don't even know what I signed up for, because I was just willing to let them have whatever. Um, but this came... Uh, I would say a few weeks after I was diagnosed, um, the talk of testing um, happened before my surgery, um, and it was kind of all done at the same the same time. I went in for surgery in um, April, and then I got the results of the genetic testing in July, so it was just a couple months later, um, but it was a regular blood test. Um, my ocular oncologist um, asked about my family history with cancer. Uh, my mom has been diagnosed with cancer six times. Um, oh, six separate wow. cancers. So there was something there. And my ocular oncologist at Stanford said, we have this great genetics program. Why don't you go talk to somebody there? So they set me up with a genetic counselor. Um, and she knew right off the bat, she, she heard um, melanoma, mesothelioma from my grandmother. Um, my mom has had uh, lung cancer, uh, kidney cancer, uh, bile duct cancer, breast cancer, skin cancer. Um, so she heard all of those things and knew it's BAP1. Um, so they sent us to, for genetic testing. It was the blood test. Um, and they actually test for like, I don't know, 50 or 100 different genetic mutations, um, BAP1 being one of them. So um, that one came back as likely pathogenic, I think they call it. Um, and then I had a couple other mutations that they don't know as much about. Um, so they call it a variant of undetermined significance. Um, cause they're not quite sure. So it was, it was testing for a lot of different things, um, which is cool that they can do one blood test and kind of look at everything with genetics these days. Yeah, that is, it is really kind of an incredible, incredible thing. Um, okay. And then Diane or Barbara, you said that you learned about it five years later. Um, what was kind of, how did that end up taking so long? 
Well, um, at the time, we did have a family history of cancer. Both my parents um, passed away from cancer, but they weren't um, cancers that sent up red flags to the ocular oncologist. So um, my sister, three years ago, was diagnosed with mesothelioma and um, it was and passed away. And I just happened to hear a presentation from the Ocular Melanoma Foundation on genetics, and it mentioned BAP1 and listed the cancers. And so I had talked to my physician. He um, didn't think that um, it was worth testing for. He didn't think that I had it, but I contacted my sister's thoracic surgeon oncologist through email and he had his genetic counselor call me and just said that the you know she said the relationship between ocular melanoma and mesothelioma in one family was so rare that um just assume that you have it and proceed with testing so i was um, she helped me get the test and I just had a saliva test. That's interesting. interesting. And, it's, um, and I'm so sorry to hear about so many of your family that you've lost recently. Um, definitely our condolences go with you. Thank you. Um, okay. So obviously this is kind of big news. Like this is, this is not small, like that, that inherited predisposition to really having any cancer, but really specifically to having a couple of different, very rare kinds of cancers, um, that had to have changed, like at least some parts of your journey with ocular melanoma. So, um, Diana, do you want to share a little bit of like how you feel like this has maybe changed the way that you've navigated this or what you look for, you know, in medical care, in, um, monitoring all of those different kinds of things. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's changed, uh, the, my journey with ocular melanoma, um, a little bit, I think we're still looking for the same things that everyone else is in the liver. Um, I'm still fearful about metastasis, um, and all of that. Um, but I am being followed by a genetic oncologist, um, through the Stanford genetics program. And I'm really thankful for that because they're looking not just at my liver, um, or lungs, um, they're looking at my entire body. I'm doing whole body MRIs right now, um, which I don't think would be recommended by most doctors. <laughs> um, so they're looking at all of my organs. I'm getting skin checks twice a year. I'm getting my eye exams like everybody else. Um, but I think this um, having this piece of information has allowed them to look at every other part of my body that um, cancer could you know, land um, versus just a, a diagnosis of ocular melanoma. The focus is so much on the liver um, versus, you know, the rest of your organs. So. Okay. That, okay. I, feel that, like that I feel like that's, that's, a, big that's a big difference. Um, and I feel like that's an important difference and an, like an important distinction in the kind of the standard of care. So um, I guess maybe, maybe call to action. If you are listening to this video and you have not been tested for back one, Sounds like it would be worth doing, <laughs> at least to me. It sounds like it would definitely be worth at least having that knowledge so that you can get the right monitoring, the right care, and be linked up with the right specialists, right? Okay. I think it's a combination of 
having ocular melanoma and having a family history of cancers. Yeah. So you would have to have both of those things to, um, and probably having a history of the specific cancers related to BAP1. Yeah. That would lead to testing. Yeah, for sure. I think that, that, that definitely makes sense. Um, but that's like good to be aware of. Um, and I think it's interesting too, that you, you know, that you have like your care team, your care plan looks different, maybe not in totally drastic ways, but still like in, in very, very important ways. Um, so Barbara, you learned about this, you said it five years into your diagnosis and can you remind me how far into your diagnosis are you now? So six I just found out last okay. that I had the gene. And it, so it felt like it really changed my medical follow-up because all of a sudden I did have a genetic oncologist. I was placed, you know, in the high-risk monitoring clinic. And I do get eye exams, skin checks, and CAT scans recently um, of my chest, abdomen, pelvis. So many more scans and a few more doctor visits. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. I understand the frequent scans and the lots of doctor's visits because someone like I, I was diagnosed with class two. And so, you know, obviously I've got every three months right now and I get seen every three months by the oncologist, the ocular oncologist, the dermatologist. I think that's it. <laughs> Like, but that's a lot. It's a lot of doctor's visits. Um, and look, look at us go. We're totally rocking it. Okay. Um, so would you say Barbara, that it's changed your journey with OM in any other ways that you feel like are worth mentioning? I think it changed my journey in that I was feeling pretty comfortable being six years out that, um, you know, my, chances of metastasis were less. Um, although then I had a whole new worry of, of additional cancers. So I feel like, um, instead of just worrying about cancers to my lungs or my liver, I'm now worried about skin cancers and cancers to the kidney. And then there's some other related cancers also. So so maybe um, almost maybe kind of almost like information you are glad to have the medical team following, but at the same time, you almost wish you didn't know it because it makes you that much more aware of your mortality. <laughs> it's, oh certainly, it's, it's certainly raised the bar a little bit. And yeah. Um, yeah. I think an additional um, worry for me anyway, I um no, I came from a family of five siblings and I have three kids myself. And so all of a sudden I was worried about who else had the gene and what risk, you know, what put them at risk. So, so as far as so your as family as goes, you know, um, did you, you know, suggest to your kids that they go ahead and have blood tests or saliva tests done to see if they have inherited the gene or have they opted not to do that? So I'll, all of my children were tested and um, all of my siblings were also tested and their children tested. Um, so, well, not all of them, those who did not have the gene didn't get tested okay. for the gene. So um, I think it was pretty important for me and I kept um, 
kept after at least my children to get tested. And then my other family members um, were pretty interested in finding out if they had the gene and got tested also. So, yeah, I feel like especially, yeah, I feel like especially with, like, with just like, kind of the, kind of the everything that happened with your family with losing both of your parents to cancer and then also your sister that that would be a big red flag um, for wanting to just understand um, for sure. So I can understand that. So as far as your immediate family's life um, has like, I guess I, this is kind of a two-part question. How has like ocular melanoma as a whole and just having this adjustment with your vision with your care plan of, you know, being monitored and having all of these different tests, how has this affected your family's life as you see it, whether your spouse or your kids, uh, maybe like your, your closest family, the family you spend the most time with. Um, and then how do you feel like it's the, the BAP1 diagnosis has also affected that? Go ahead. Um, so the ocular melanoma diagnosis, I mean, I found out when I was 30, um, I think it's, it's totally like rocked my world, and, but I felt like I can do this. Like, I felt like this knocked me down, but I'm going to be fine. And then I found out about BAP1 and it felt like we have answers and I was devastated, obviously, but it was nice to feel like we had answers. And then, um, I think it was two months after that, maybe a month after that, I found out that I had two brain aneurysms and just felt like something crazy needs to change. Like my whole life in that year, um, just like flashed before my eyes. So I think 2018 for me, my diagnosis of cancer, this genetic mutation and having two brain surgeries, um, really made me face my mortality at a very young age when I, I was, it was three weeks before I was my wedding. Um, when I found out I had cancer, um, I was on the precipice of my whole life. Um, but I think it's really changed the way that um, my family and I spend time together, I think it's more precious now. And I think we've, um, I've really made that a priority that I, I quit my job last year because I felt like I needed to be with my family more and my husband. Um, so I feel like it's, it's totally changed the way that I live my life. Um, finding out for my mom that none of this was her fault. I think um, she felt like this history of cancer in our family was something she did wrong. Um, so I think it was really nice to have an answer in that sense, um, you know, that there's nothing you could have done differently. Um, was really nice. It's been hard. My twin sister has the genetic mutation. So for her, I think she's happy to know this information and she's getting checked more, but I feel like she's now we're in both 33 and feeling like, you know, not if I will get cancer in the future, but when. Um, which isn't a normal thing to think when you're our age, you know, being young like that. So I think it's really changed um, our lives, but I think it's changed it in a lot of ways for the better. That I think when you're 30, you're not thinking about, you know, living every day to its fullest and, you know, having the, the job that you really want at that time to spend time with your family. You're trying to get ahead and, you know, build a path for yourself and, um, you know, you think I'll retire in the future and then I'll travel and then I'll, you know, spend time with family and slow down. But I think it's given me um, that sense now early in my life and being able to kind of make those changes now at a, a younger age um, versus at all, you know, changing, you know, later in life. No, oh, I love that. I Thank love you, that. Thank uh, you. Uh, for just uh, for, for sharing just those thoughts sharing and for your, for your, for your vulnerability. Your vulnerability. Uh, uh, 
Okay, Barbara, okay, Barbara same, same question. Same question. Yeah, yeah, so so I, I think that, that um, like Diana, um, I was 57, so I was a lot older. I just can't imagine getting a diagnosis of OM at 30. Um, so I was well into my career. My children were leaving home. They were in college. Um, and, you know, it was eye-opening, but it wasn't, um, it, I felt like it was manageable. Um, and then last year when I was diagnosed with the BAP1, I, I too made a lot of life choices. I decided I'd retire early and spend more time doing things that, um, that were important to me and my family. So um, I think that we are very lucky in my extended family that um, I had one sister and one niece out of all of the people that could have inherited the condition that it, there were, you know, it was limited. So um, I think for, for those of us who have the gene, it's been nice to know that we can do screening and catch cancers early. Um, and especially for my sister and niece who, who haven't had cancer yet. So I think it really prioritized that we need to do screening and, um, and that there's a good chance with regular screening that we can catch cancers early and, and, and treat them. And I think Diana's mom is probably a great example of that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. She really is <laughs> a living okay. life. Well, like, yeah, I was going to say your mom's had like what, six, six different cancers and she's still here. Like, I mean, you just borrowed her iPad. So I'm assuming yes. <laughs> These are her fabulous dresses behind me. There you go. When you have like some cool setting on the iPad that made it all mute, the like kind of blur the background. That's cool. Um, okay. Well, do you guys have, I guess this is kind of spur of the moment and I apologize to put you on the spot for this, but in all of my other interviews so far on the page for Cure Insight, I have been asking if you have a favorite, I guess a favorite song, or I guess we could even say a favorite um, podcast or, um, like a book, something, something inspirational that you feel like has helped you. So I ideally favorite song, cause I love music, but if you don't have a favorite song, feel free to share a book or a quote. Um, Diana, why don't you go first? I can go first. Um, so there's a song that I love, um, by a band called the Weepies, which sounds sad, but they're really good. Um, it's called can't steal happiness. And I think to me, it just reminds me like cancer and my health, it's like tried to take everything from me, but every day is a choice, you know, to wake up and just be happy and, you know, live the life that you want to live. So that's a good one. I highly recommend checking them out. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. Barbara. And I think one of my favorite songs probably I got from um, my son who sends me music regularly, also books and podcasts. But um, from the Cranberries, Ode to My Family, um, just because they have been such a great support and they're the reason why, why I do what I do, do give me 
um, motivation to go get those screenings and scans, which aren't always all that pleasant. <laughs> so for sure, for sure. Okay. Okay. We, have, we have, I'm just checking through to make sure I didn't miss any questions. We did have one question over on Facebook that I saw. Um, this Debbie asked if insurance paid for your genetic test, your genetic testing. They, they do not pay for it. Um, but uh, the company that did my genetic testing, um, I, they kind of ensure that either the insurance will pay for it or they will pay for it. Um, so they, I signed like a release kind of on my behalf saying that they could fight the insurance company. And I think they did for like a year and then they ended up eating it. And I think it was between like seven and $8,000. Wow. That's crazy. My insurance did pay for it. Um, and I'm not sure why just maybe because I had the positive history um, and then the genetic testing company offered, since I came back positive with the gene, offered free genetic testing to all um, immediate relatives, siblings and children. So, so it sounds like if you advocate for what you need, that there's, there's hope there, you know, that you can find someone who can help. Um, would you guys be comfortable sharing the companies or do you remember the companies? Um, and I guess if you don't know it by name or you need to look it up, that would be fine. But I feel like go ahead and like share the names of those companies that you guys used. Oh, I didn't use a company per se. I think the process is that you need to go through a genetic counselor and then get referred. So I had the name of a genetic testing company, but the University of Utah goes through a specific company. So um, that's, the, that's where I got the test. Okay. Yeah, I had mine through um, the genetics department at Stanford, um, and the uh, testing company was in Vitae, um, and they they offered free testing for my family after I was confirmed with the mutation too. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, All right. well we will keep an eye out on Facebook and on Instagram uh, for the next few days, and if I see a question, I will make sure to tag Diana or Di um, Diana or Barbara to have them answer that. And um, Melody gave me, gave me some feedback just a minute ago to say that it was kind of echoey over on Facebook. So if it was echoing on Facebook, I apologize. We are recording and kind of trying to mesh all of this audio together to be in the podcast. Um, I'm going to be trying to make that my project as my kids get back in school. So, um, but if you guys have questions specifically for Diana and Barbara and they can answer them, I'm sure they would be happy to do so. Um, do you guys have anything else that you really would like to talk about for a minute, or do you feel like we covered it? I don't have anything else. Yeah, I think yeah, I did a great job with the questions. Thanks. Yeah. No, thank you to you guys for kind of coming up with your own questions to be asked. So thank you. That made my job easy. Um, our goal was just to increase awareness. Yeah. And I think that's an important, that's like an important, an important thing. Important and I think that, um, I know I'm grateful for that. Like, cause now I want to go and ask my oncologist, did you test for this? Cause I feel like with the class two diagnosis, I remember them doing something like that, but I don't remember what everything said. So, you know, this, to me, this is kind of like a reminder of like, okay, let's go revisit some of the, um, I don't know, like the, what would you call it? just some of the things that happened, you know, early on in my diagnosis, like, let's go revisit some of these now that I'm kind of out of the fog and it's not so scary and crazy. 
or maybe just not so new. It's still scary and crazy. <laughs> okay. Um, I think I wanted to emphasize that this is really a pretty rare condition. You know, ocular melanoma is like six in a million and only 1% of ocular melanoma patients have back one TPDS. So it is pretty rare, but. But I mean, still worth talking about. Lie, so. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, thank you guys for being on. Thank you for your time and your stories and just for opening up and sharing um, and for encouraging our community here. Um, and I guess without further ado, I'm going to end the live on Facebook, on Inst whatever this one is, Instagram over here. Um, and then we'll end the live over here. And we will just say, see you later to the rest of the community. So bye guys. Thank you so much for joining us today on the I Believe podcast. Please share and make sure to send this over to friends, family, and to share on your social media. Feel free to follow us on Facebook or on Instagram at A Cure Insight. Thanks so much and have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time.